0: We are going to start a new message series. We're going to be in the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, lots of people avoid the Old Testament because it's scary and they don't know where to begin. And, uh, we're going to spend uh, six weeks in the book of Daniel. And then we're actually going to go into a series of, old, of the Old Testament Kings. If you need a Bible, uh, uh, they here will, uh, make one available. Just give them a wave. And, um, the book of Daniel is one of the prophets, so if you're wondering, how am I going to find this book of Daniel, you go to open your Bible, it'll fall open in the middle, you'll be in the book of Psalms, you go to the right, you get through Proverbs, you get through uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, and then you get into some big prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then it's after that one. The the, the, the Old Testament's divided into... A number of ways, and one of those is what we call the prophets, and some are called major prophets and minor prophets. Minor prophets aren't minor because they're unimportant, they're called minor prophets because their books are shorter. And so Daniel is kind of the last of what we call the major prophets, it's 12 chapters long and we're going to look at the first six chapters of this book. We're going to call this series Faith in the Real World, Faith in the Real World, learning what it, what it takes to, to really have faith that, that matters on a day-to-day basis. But to, to, to start into this, I need to, to bring you up to speed. I need to kind of set the scene for you of where we are. We're talking about a guy named Daniel, who who is he? He's a Hebrew. He's a he's a Jewish young man. And he's living in a place called Babylon, far away, far to the east of what we call today Israel. How did he get there? Well, you've got to step all the way back. After creation, Adam and Eve, the population grew, they were wicked, God Judge them with a flood, flood of the entire earth and save one family, Noah and his family. Noah's family began to repopulate the earth till eventually we get to a guy named Abraham. Abraham, uh, was living in Mesopotamia and, uh, you know, and, and he sensed the call of God. God called him over to Canaan, or what we today would call Israel. So he did that, and God promised Abraham he'd have many sons. I'm going to pick up the pace here a little bit, so hang on. So Abraham had uh, had this promise from God that he'd have a multitude of family, like the stars in the sky, and uh, he had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel had twelve sons, and they become what we call the twelve tribes of Israel. Well, as they were settled in that land of Canaan, there was a great famine, and they relocated to Egypt thanks to one of the boys named Joseph, he got them to Egypt. And then while they were in Egypt, they prospered, they flourished, they became a great nation of a, a million or a couple million people while they were there. But the pharaoh of Egypt oppressed them, enslaved them, and had them kind of working for him. And they cried out to God for deliverance. Well, what did God do? God sent a deliverer, a guy named Moses. And, and, and Moses went there very reluctantly, but he went in obedience to God, and he went and, and he said, let my people go. And, and it, through a series of kind of hardships, finally the Pharaoh allowed these people to go. And, and, and Moses led them back toward their promised land, their homeland, the, the land of Canaan, what we would call Israel. But but on the way, they, they got scared. They, they, were, they were afraid to enter the land that God promised, and God said, no problem, you're going to wait. You're all going to die and your kids are going to go in. And so God waited 40 years. They wandered in the in the wilderness, in the desert, and then finally they entered. And as they entered the land, leadership passed from Moses to a guy named Joshua. And if you read in your Bible, you get Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then you get to a book called Joshua. And Joshua tells the story of how this great military leader led the, the people into to take over the land and to settle in the land. And as they did that, it was there. They were there. The great victories, great miracles, great things were happening. But but they really struggled to have faith in God and to believe and be faithful. And, and, and they were being led by a series of, of, of prophets or what we call judges at the time. And you can read it in the Bible. It's called the book of Judges. And they did okay for a while. They had a good leader. And then, and then they would just fall away from God and do what they thought was right in their own eyes. And then a, a new leader would rise up and then they would fall away. And so then they said, well, what we need is we need a king. That's what we need. We really need a king. And God says, you don't need a king. You need me. They said, no, we need a king. God said, fine, you're going to have a king, but it's going to be a problem. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your kids to war. It's not going to be good. You're not going to like it. No, we need a king. And so God allowed them to to, to follow a king. First, he raised up a guy named Saul. And, and Saul was a strong, powerful king in, in military terms, but he was afraid and he was unfaithful to God. And God removed him and, and replaced him with a guy named David. And David was a great king. In fact, David becomes the, the ideal, the, the king that all kings want to be like. And David is, he makes his mistakes, he's flawed, he's a murderer, he's an adulterer, but he's faithful to God in the, even so, in through it all. And, and David has a son named Solomon, so Saul raised, rules for 40 years, and David rules for 40 years, and he's a son named Solomon, and Solomon rules, and, and Solomon's wise and, and wealthy, and expands the kingdom, and it's a season of peace, and hands off the kingdom to his son Rehoboam, and, and Rehoboam is foolish. And through some foolish decisions, the kingdom is split and divided into a northern section and a southern section. A guy named Jeroboam takes the northern section to the ten tribes, what we call the ten tribes of Israel. That becomes the nation of Israel, and the southern kingdom becomes the nation of Judah. And David's descendants are going to continue to lead the nation of Judah. And the northern kingdom, they just fall into greater and greater and greater wickedness. King after king after king just takes them down a terrible path. till so finally, God says, enough. And in 723 BC, they're defeated by the Assyrians and they're dispersed. And people from other nations are brought to Israel. And the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel was called Samaria. And, and Samaria becomes kind of a symbol for unfaithfulness and compromise and falling away from God. But the southern kingdom, they, they have a series of Pretty good kings, bad kings, good king, bad king, good king, bad king. That's what we're going to look at in the fall. We're going to look at some of the kings of, of Judah. And, and finally, they just progressively get worse. And God says, enough's enough. And in 586, the kingdom of Judah falls to the Babylonians. And Jerusalem is not only captured, it's completely destroyed. The temple that was the, the highlight of their experience of worship is destroyed and burned to the ground. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he, he takes, he takes people from Judah, people from Jerusalem, and he ships them off to Babylon, what would be Iraq today, a long way away. In three movements, three disbursements, he takes them over and, and resettles them there. Turns out Nebuchadnezzar, even though he's a wicked king, even though he's a pagan king, is actually Good for the nation of Israel. Do you know that sometimes God raises up ungodly people to do his work? Sometimes God uses very flawed, imperfect, ungodly people to do what he needs done. And that was Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he, he took all the articles of, of gold and silver and worship items from the, from the temple and he took them to Babylon and he, he effectively kept them in safekeeping. Because the Israelites were, were rebellious and had lost and for 70 years they're away. Well this brings us to the story of the several thousand people that Nebuchadnezzar moved from Jerusalem to Babylon. Daniel and his friends are some of those some of those Hebrews, some of those Jewish boys. They're mid probably mid teens. They're just kids. And they're in a new land. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. Today we're talking about looking for a win-win. Nearly 30 years ago, a guy named Stephen Covey wrote a book. Some of you remember it. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody remember that book? It was all the rage. Every business had to do it, develop the great buzzwords of the 90s like synergy and begin with the end in mind and put first things first and, of course, think win-win. Well, those are great principles Um, And so that win-win is is what we're going to talk about today. I'm not preaching Covey's seven habits, but in these next six weeks, we're going to try to grasp what it means to to really put our trust in Jesus so that we can live our faith in the real world, not an artificial construct, but the actual real world experience. If you're going to be an authentic, you know, Jesus-following Christian in the marketplace, let me tell you right now: You're not going to be normal. You're not going to be typical. You're not going to be like everybody else. You're going to be different. You're going to stand out. Your your values and your principles are going to clash with the people around you, your coworkers, some of your family members, your fellow students. You're going to run into situations that are going to test your convictions, and test your attitude, and test your temper in, in times of conflict, and times of, you know temptations to compromise your faith. And in those situations, you need a way to hold fast to what is right and true without damaging others in the process. And that's where we're at in Daniel chapter 1. So I'm in Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to try to get through the whole chapter here. It's 21 verses long. All right, we're in Daniel chapter 1. It's a long passage. You can remain seated for this, but We'll read and and skim a couple of parts. Daniel chapter 1 says this. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them A daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. And they were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. So you've got this three-year civil service program, diplomacy training school, right? Verse 6, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Well, Daniel spoke with the attendant, who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Verse 12, Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. Sometimes people today, you'll hear someone doing, I'm on a Daniel fast. That's what they're talking about. Okay, that right there. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggested and tested them for 10 days. And verse 15, at the end of ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned to the king, by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the royal service. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Do you know that Good, faithful Christians can work for pagan, terrible bosses and do well. Do you know that God has called Christians in to serve in, in governments around the world of even some of the t- most terrible leaders? Because God can do that. You can serve God and you can be faithful wherever you're placed. In your school, your workplace, uh, your home, wherever that is. Now, I want you to imagine this situation. These boys... Like we say, probably mid-teens, pulled away from their homeland, pulled away from their culture, their language, their family, their dietary experiences, practices, their religious practices, their homes, their, their, their guys of, of means, they come from good, wealthy families. They've got everything at their fingertips ready and they're taken away from all of it. Everything taken, everything changed. Even their names are changed to kind of erase their former identity. So that they kind of even forget who they were. Everything's upset for them. Everything's changed. I don't know if you've ever been homesick. I've probably told you a few times of, of being 18 years old and, and traveling uh, on, on a mission. We were in the People's Republic of China for two months. And, and I was so homesick. I wanted my bed. I wanted my mom's cooking. I wanted to be able to just speak my English language without having to try to figure out how to use sign language to interpret. I, I, I was, it was winter and I was cold the whole time because I didn't know that it gets cold in China. I was cold. I was homesick. I was miserable. It wasn't as traumatic, I admit, as these boys, because I knew I was going back. But oh, it was it was hard. You felt away and lonely, so lonely. Late years later, of course, I could see how God used that time, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. But but you you can kind of imagine the emotional experience of these four homesick Hebrew boys. Not easy, especially forced in new language, new culture, new customs, new everything for them. And it was the food situation that created the problem. I don't know if you realize this, but but um, you know, practicing religious practicing Jews follow food regulations, kosher food. If you go to the grocery store, you can look for the kosher symbol on, on, on the food that you buy. We're learning about this from a from a friend of ours named Sanja. She's teaching me about, about about kosher foods, but man, they are strict and they stick to it. And they don't want to bend. They, they don't want to cut, turn that over. And these guys are faced with a violation of their kosher food laws. And yet God was with them. And they're courageous. And maybe their courage came from their own names. Details in scripture are never given accidentally and including the detail of their names. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah changed by, by uh, the Babylonians to Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or to use their vegetal names, Rakshak and Beni. Remember that? Some of you know that. But their given names have actual meanings and these meanings reveal, de- reveal details of God's character. God always has a way of staying involved in your life uh, whether you realize it or not, of revealing his work and his character and his way in the midst uh, of what's going on. You could say it this way. If you're taking notes this morning, if you've got an insert uh, outline in your program. You could write this down. God's character is embedded in my story. God's character is embedded in my story. And let me explain this. Okay, consider these names. Daniel's name means God is my judge. Hananiah's name means God has shown grace. Michel's name means who is like God, and Azariah's name means God has helped. Okay? God is my judge. God has shown grace. Who is like God? And God has helped. So there they are. So far from home. Away from the temple. Away from their families. And God is already reminding them. I'm the judge. I'm gracious. I'm supreme. And I'm your helper. He's the gracious judge. And he's the supreme helper. It's embedded right in their names to remind them. The gracious judge. The supreme helper. That's God in precious situations. Let's just go to that next slide. If we can. Because God is the judge. It means they didn't have to make justice happen on their own. They could trust Him to, to take care of it. They didn't have to get upset when life was unfair. This is not fair! You're right. But God is the judge and He will take care of it, ultimately. Right? Because God is gracious, they could respond graciously even to their captors. Because God is supreme, there was no reason to fear. And because God is helper, they could call on Him and count on Him always. God's character is embedded in their story and it's embedded in your story. There are ways that if you would take the time to reflect and think about it, you would recognize God has been at work. God has been revealing his character in my life. God has been developing his work through me and in my life. So when you're in an an unfair situation at work or school, I want you to take some time to consider... Okay, if God's the gracious judge and the supreme helper, how is God's character embedded into this situation? How is God's, how is God's character here? How am I being invited to trust Him more? Because in the, these boys, they, they got that it was in their names. And in this account, Daniel emerges as kind of the default leader and spokesman for the group. And as cooperative as they're being, the dietary change presents an uncrossable bridge for them. They just can't go there. Right? Especially for Daniel. And it was Daniel's, I, you know, I think stance that emboldened the others. There's something really powerful about accountability. Friends, when you're in a situation and it's hard and there's temptation and difficulty around, you need accountability with other believers. People who can say, hey, I'm in your business. You're in my business. We're, we're in each other's business. We know what's going on. We'll help each other stand strong. And that's what's happening here. But verse 8 says this, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. Now, think, think about this, right? Far from home. No one would need to know. No one would probably even ever find out if they'd eat non-kosher foods. No one would have blamed them that they would have buckled to the pressure of this. honestly, Violent king he 's going to potentially behead someone else if you don 't do this and, and you just you just want to say, Daniel, just eat the bacon like just drink the wine we 're not going to tell anybody you 'll get forgiveness later it, you don 't make waves it 's not worth it. Nobody cares. just go along with it and deal with it later just Just keep your head down and eat the bacon. I wonder if that happens today. Just call in sick even though you're not sick because you just want the afternoon off. Just take a little cheat sheet into the exam because it's not really cheating. You just need a little extra help. Just, Just text your mom that you're at Amy's house when you're really at Todd's house. Just sleep with your girlfriend even though you call yourself a Christian. Just, just do the deal in cash and avoid the taxes. Just, nobody's gonna find out, nobody's gonna, it doesn't really matter, just. But Daniel was determined, he purposed, he resolved not to defile himself. When you violate your own integrity, when you violate your conscience, when you violate your convictions, you're defiling yourself. You're wounding and injuring yourself. And we need to ask this question, what God-honoring boundaries have I determined to maintain? What God-honoring boundaries have I determined to maintain? A few weeks ago, I shared with you a story about bending the rules for the sake of relationship and witness. Some of you know what we're talking about, the laying sod story, right? But there are other times, and I would say more often, when you need to stand and hold your line even though it's unpopular. That's what we're talking about here. Daniel and his friends didn't wait for the pressure of the moment to decide to do the right thing. Come on, I wonder if we should do this. What do you guys think? No, that decision was made long before they ever got there. They knew it before that ever situation ever approached. And if you don't establish your boundaries before the temptation, you're going to be easily pushed over those boundaries. guarantee it. You have to decide in advance where to draw that line. And I ask, what God-honoring boundaries have you resolved to maintain? For example, in how you report to your manager at work, or how you take tests, or how you operate in relationships, or how you conduct yourself on Facebook, or how you Snapchat, or who you Snapchat, or who you instant message, or how you handle money. Have you established godly boundaries before you get there? i got a little picture for you here. This is my wife, Becky, and I. Yeah, 90s selfies. Who remembers taking selfies in the 90s? Well, I hope that turned out. And you didn't dare take more than one or two because film was expensive and it cost a lot to get it developed, right? Well, there we were, 28 and a half years ago, and Early in our dating, we had a very candid conversation about our physical boundaries in our dating relationship. And I'm glad we did because we were very much in love and very full of young hormones, right? And those boundaries proved necessary. But they had to be developed in advance, not in the heat of the moment. You have to determine those things ahead of time if you're going to maintain your Christian witness in the real world. And I know of Christians, and, and I'm probably we've all been there, including myself, where we've let our boundaries get perforated and, and then we suffer damage to our testimony and our ministry through some kind of moral failure. I would say figure out your boundaries in advance to win in your faith in the marketplace. Okay, so God's character is embedded in your story. Your boundaries are set. So now what do you do when you get into a sticky situation, whether it's at work or school or in your family, in your neighborhood, wherever it is, where, like Daniel, you're being asked to do something that's over the limit for you, outside of the bounds for you. How are you going to handle that? Um, Daniel's uh, approach here shows us how to have a win-win scenario. Gives us an outstanding example of how to respond To that kind of request or situation. So his approach, Daniel's approach resulted in everyone coming out ahead, doing better than they would have expected. Nobody lost their head in this story. Right? Nobody gets their head chopped off here. His approach was great. And he won by maintaining his integrity. His boss won by looking like a hero. God won by getting the glory through Daniel's testimony. It's, it really is a win, well it's a win-win-win all the way around. So, last point in your outline today is look for the win-win with these four keys. Look for the win-win with these four keys, at least four things. Starting at verse 8, I would say this, stand your ground graciously. Stand your ground graciously. Verse 8 reports that Daniel asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Daniel didn't demand for a change, right? He didn't get aggressive, he didn't get all sanctimonious, well, I'm... So much more holy than you. I therefore can't. No, he just asked, just kindly and simply asked. He he trusted God to have given him favor, which God did, favor with that with that supervisor. And I I understand not every supervisor, principal, authority figure is going to you know be a reasonable person. I I understand that there's there's a lot going on, but you have a much better shot at success. If you'll approach graciously, calmly, kind tone of voice, not barging in, not being pushy or aggressive. Be gracious in your approach. Stand your ground, but do so with kindness. After all, you want your supervisor to be successful because their, your success depends in part on their success. So you want everyone to win. Stand your ground. Secondly, what Daniel does is suggest a reasonable alternative. Suggest a reasonable alternative. See, Daniel was not opposed to the intended outcome, right? They all wanted to have healthy, strong, successful young men. They all had the same end goal, but getting there was the issue. How they were going to do that. So Daniel goes to his direct supervisor. Now, this is interesting. Probably not the chief of staff. The way it reads, you've got the chief of staff and then you've got Daniel's supervisor. And now first Daniel starts there and then he goes here and says, um, Hey, how about this? Right, you see it in it's a it's a low risk, reasonable alternative. You see it in verse twelve. There he says, um, "Hey, please test us for ten days on a diet of vegetables and water, and at the end of ten days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food." So, it's not a big risk for the attending supervisor. By it's it's a reasonable request. It's got a short period of time. It's a manageable situation. But it would give Daniel and the others an opportunity to be proven right, and so you might offer to your principal, or your teacher, or your boss, your parent, your your supervisor, your spouse, whoever is creating this scenario for you. That's an uncrossable line. Um, a short term alternative that does not expose them to undue risk. You don't want anybody to get their head lopped off in this. Well, there's some people probably you do, but you're supposed to love your enemies as well. So. Um, you, you want to be reasonable and yet achieve the intended outcome. Okay, so stand your ground graciously, suggest a reasonable alternative. Third one is to submit evaluation. Verse 13 says, at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the others. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Well, obviously Daniel's taking a risk, isn't he? Like, with his low carb, vegetable based, Tasteless diet. Actually, no, I shouldn't say that. But there's no tacos in his diet. Not even hot dogs, right? Would it work? He had to offer an evaluation point as part of his reasonable alternative plan. You've got to be willing to say, here's my alternate suggestion. Let's just test it out and see what happens. But the success of that point Sub- submitting to evaluation depends on the fourth point. Trust God on your behalf. Trust God on your behalf. Ultimately, Daniel and the others really had to put all their hope and faith and confidence in God. We're going to see more about that in, in chapter 3 in a couple of weeks. But if this test went poorly, then what? What would happen? Uh, we, we don't know. But Daniel had faith to believe that God would come through. Sometimes it's good for us to be pushed into that place where the only option we have is to trust God. The only option we have is to trust God. And sometimes, you guys, you're going to be in a scenario where it might cost you your job. It might cost you some money. It might cost you some time. It might cost you something to stand and say, this far and no further. But these four things can help you. And as you head into this fall kind of season... Just can you stand your ground on those predetermined boundaries? Can you suggest reasonable alternatives? Can you be open to evaluation and trust God? Indulge me just to tell you one quick story because you, you might think, well, Brian, you're, you're just a pastor and you're in a church and you have no idea what it's like in my real life. And Look, we have those situations all the time. Recently I had a some work done at my house and, and the guy says okay it's going to be this amount of money and you can just pay me cash and they said well I'll, I'll pay you however I want but I'd like a receipt what you do with that is up to you but my boundary is this I'm not going to deal under the table on this let me take you even further back a bunch of years ago college years I was my intent had been um, we Becky and I would serve in on the mission field in radio broadcasting work so I was in radio broadcasting school and at the end of the first year, they said, "Hey, next year." I actually only ended up doing one year with them. They said, "Next year, you're all going to take rotations in the school radio station. When you're on the radio station, uh, one of the you're going to do the morning show. You're going to learn to do the weather. You're going to learn to do the traffic. You're going to learn to do the news, and you do a daily horoscope reading." And I thought, "Oh no!" Everyone's like, "Oh, this is great." I went to my supervisor, the the guy director of that student radio station. I said, "I'm sorry, I can't." I can do everything else, I just, I can't do the horoscope. I'm a Christian, and that is something that is just off the table for me. The Bible is very clear about what it means to read horoscopes, and that's absolutely forbidden. I just can't do that. Is there another way we could do this? No, it's, everybody does, I understand, everybody's. Well, we've had other Christian kids who've done it, I understand. Is there an alternative that we could do? Well, it just doesn't really mean anything anyway. I understand. Is there another way we could do this? Well, it's just entertainment, I understand. Would there be an alternative way that we could do this? And we just kind of... And I just stayed calm and he just couldn't understand why I was being so ridiculous. And we just... I, said, I understand. Could was, Is there another way we could do this? And finally, we came up with a solution. Someone else would step into the booth and take care of that while I took a two-minute break. And we we resolved it. We got to a place... Where in the end, everything was good. And I ended up not going back to have that experience. But it was okay to be able to say, this is my line. Could we work out a reasonable alternative? And I just, you find that when you're gracious, over time, people will respond back to that graciousness graciously. Not always, but often they will. Friends, we can be like Daniel. We can have a faith in the real world. We can have win-win Scenarios. It starts really with trusting God. Stand your ground. Be gracious about it. Get those God-honoring boundaries in place in advance. You can do this. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this, for, for preserving the account of Daniel and his friends. Lord, we thank you that, that they were not afraid to stand for you they were not afraid to do what was unpopular in this scenario where they just had very little decision making power God I think you you so embedded your character in their story that they could even they could even just see it just by their names that you showed yourself to be gracious to be the judge to be supreme to be their helper Lord you haven't changed we sang it this morning you have not Changed and you continue to be the gracious judge and the supreme helper. And God, I pray that each person in this room would experience that this week. Church, his heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just want to give you the opportunity. Maybe you've, maybe you've been in church a lot or you're new in church or, but you're saying this, there's something in me that's stirring and says, I want to follow this. I want to experience this, that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to himself. And, and faith is, a, is not complicated. God made you and he loves you. Your sin has separated you from God. God sent Jesus' His son to die in your place to forgive your sin and, and make you a new person. But it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to receive God's salvation through Jesus Christ. It's not by anything you do. It's by your faith. Bible says it's by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That's how you're saved. If that's you today, you're saying, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to experience new life and be a follower of Jesus. Will you just raise your hand? Its heads are bowed. eyes are closed. You just raise your hand and make God contact with me and we'll pray together after the service. And for the rest of us today, we just have a great challenge to say, can I just... Be faithful to trust God and follow Jesus in the day-to-day of my life. God, would you empower us? Would you embolden us in that way? God, we thank you. you provided a great fun day for us as well. We thank you for the food we're going to enjoy together. And, uh, God, we just, we just bless you for providing that. Uh, we thank you for your care and safety and protection over us in some of the fun places. Would you be glorified in all these things? We love you, Lord. And even better, you love us. In your name we pray. Amen.